Well, uh, we have a lot of work uh, to do uh, today, and so if you want to follow along in your Bible, um, uh, I'm feeling it's, it's, it's darker than, there we go. Uh, I don't, it's like, did you guys go home? I didn't know what happened to everybody. Uh, if you're going to follow along in your Bible, I'm going to be in Mark 12, and so I would invite you to, to find uh, Mark 12 in your Bible. Mark is the uh, second book of the New Testament, if that helps you track it down. Um, an embarrassing story is I tend, to, I tend to be self-deprecating, and so you guys can make fun of me for this later, but I was in sixth grade when it happened, so really you're just making fun of children, so big bullies, right? Uh, when I was in sixth grade, uh, we're, we're kicking off the, it's the beginning of the school year, and uh, sixth grade was the first time to really have class transitions. We, we kind of did it in fifth grade, but the entire class moved as one clump in fifth grade into three or four different rooms, but in sixth grade, it was our first time to like, you have a, you have a schedule, and you have to, like some of us go to English while the others of us go to math, and then we kind of crisscross and do all this. It was really nervous wrecking. Um, and so we had all these different teachers who didn't know us as well. And they're going through the roster and they're going, they say, okay, I'm going to call your names. And if you'd like to go by anything else, let us know. And for some reason, in only one of the classes, I decided I don't want to be called a different name. I didn't do this with every class I had. I had eight classes that school year in sixth grade. But in only this one math class, I decided I no longer wanted to go by Jesse. I wanted to go by TJ. There's, there's no, I don't have a name in any of my name that begins with T, but I just wanted to be TJ. I, I don't know why. And so math class, and she's like, hey, if you want to be called anything else, just shout out what you would prefer to be called. And he's like, uh, Edgar. And he's like, I go by Ed. And okay, William, I go by Bill. And he goes, uh, Jesse. And it's like, I go by TJ. Okay. And so she writes it down. And so I was TJ for the one class. And uh, I go through the rest of the day and uh, nothing, nothing, you know, monumental happens. But the next day I get to class and uh, we're, we're kind of doing assigned seating and she's telling you know, the class to do this. Hey, hey, Bill, I need you to come over here. He's like, okay, Ed, Ed, I need you. I need you to come over here. TJ, I need you to come here. And I forgot. I forgot my name. I forgot I'd changed names in this one time. And, and so I had, I had set up this new personality that no longer really exists. I was just testing it out, you know, uh, just to see if I liked it. And TJ, and I'm, I'm three feet from her. TJ, she's like, are you hard of hearing? She's like clapping at me. And I should have played the deaf guard, but I didn't. Uh, I, I just told her, it's like, oh, I, I, for, I forgot that was my name. You can call me Jesse from now on. It was super embarrassing. Uh, and it, very, it had to be confusing for the teacher, ex, except it's on her. I mean, she, she grew up to become a sixth grade teacher. So she knows, like, that's like the weirdest time in people's lives. Uh, for this one moment, for this one blip, and in a very funny way, I created this compartment that for just math class, I'm going to be a different person, right? The rest of my classes, I'm Jesse, but just this math class, I decided for whatever reason, I don't want to be the real me. I'm just going to be TJ. And I immediately forgot all of the work that it takes to be TJ. I forgot like that I have a pseudonym now and I have to sign my name differently. I forgot all of those things. Why? Because, because it takes a lot of work to live in compartments, doesn't it? It takes, it takes a lot of work to have like math version of me and, and, and PE version of me and English version of me, right? It's super silly example, except, except when we're adults, uh, we, we tend to do the same thing. We tend to find these little compartments in our life, right? Uh, you have the version of you that you are when you're with your very best friends, and you have the version of you that, and I do this too, the version of us that we are when we're just with our church friends, 
We have the version of us that we are when we're at work and the version of us that we are when we're at church. And we, we try to live in this life where there's all these various compartments. And we do it for, there's, there's valued reasons. Uh, sixth grade Jesse trying to go by TJ, I have no idea what he was thinking. He's an idiot. Uh, but we do it usually to protect ourselves from being too vulnerable in other settings and, and, and too exposed. And maybe, maybe, maybe the version of us that we take to work is very different than the version of us that we take home to our spouse because, because our job is super stressful and we don't want to bring that garbage in there with uh, him or her. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why we have compartments. Um, but I'm just wanna, I just want to make the argument that we are invited to live in a compartment-free life, that we're invited to live in a, in a life where we can be as honest at work as we are at church and as honest at home as we are you know, hanging out with our buddies after work, that, that we, could, we can literally... To have the freedom of not having all the multiple personalities and just be the one version of us that understands like, okay, I should behave you know, a little bit more politely in this situation, in this situation, but that's not two different versions. Um, we're starting a series this week called No Compartments, and I just want to explore that concept. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, uh, you probably heard, especially last week, that we ended with uh, what's kind of called the Great Commandment. Uh, you should, you know, love God, love people, right? That's kind of the short version of it. Um, and, and we landed last week with, with finishing up kind of the love people side of the equation. What I want to begin today with no compartments. Let's start with the first side, the, the love God side. I want to look at that passage. Uh, today, I just want to kind of introduce the concept that we could, we could live a life without compartments. Uh, and then for the next four weeks after this, I just want to look at each of the different kind of facets of those uh, options uh, and see how we can love God in those ways. So are you, are you up for the challenge? Are you up for the, the work? Yes? Okay, well, let's begin. Uh, Mark chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 28. Let me set it up before we do. Uh, Jesus is talking, as you would expect in the book of Mark. A lot of, you know, the whole thing is about Jesus. <clears throat> And what's been happening uh, is that Jesus gave a parable at the front of, of uh, uh, Mark 12. And then after that happens, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes start coming up and challenging him. We're in the middle of Mark, kind of towards the end of Mark, actually. And so the boldness of the Pharisees, the boldness of the scribes is really kind of on, on an elevated platform. They're not just testing the waters. They're trying to bring their very best to test Jesus, to question him, to maybe trip him up. And so uh, you have to imagine a scenario where Jesus is in a room, maybe like this, with uh, this group of people will be the scribes, uh, which is just generally smart people. Well, congratulations. Uh, this group of people are the Sadducees, right? And this is a really smart people, but they just don't believe in a resurrection. They don't believe in an afterlife, but they, they believe in everything that we know of in the Old Testament. And then this group of people is the Pharisees, and you, you guys are awesome, but sorry that you get to be the bad guy in most of these stories. And, and you have to imagine a scenario where Jesus is like, hey, let me tell you, I'm going to teach you some things. I'm going to give a parable. And as soon as Jesus finished speaking, this side like brings an accusation. This side argues with him and the whole room kind of erupts in all of this arguing. And each moment Jesus will turn and answer someone, someone, oh, and they kind of sit down like dumbfounded, like, oh, he got me. And then, then this side would say something. So you kind of see this uh, in the beginning of, of 12. You, they're trying to pin him down on taxes. Like, wouldn't it be great if you could find a spot where Jesus said he didn't have to pay taxes? Like the American economy would, would completely change. Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Kind of shut down the crowd right there. The Sadducees come up and they ask him about the resurrection. Why? Because they don't believe in a resurrection, so they're trying to trick him. And so he answers that, and they're just like, oh, they just sit down. And in the midst of all of this arguing, one guy, a scribe, comes up to him. That's where we're going to read uh, beginning in verse 28. 
It says, uh, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. It's all that arguing, all that murmuring. And seeing that he answered them well, that's, that's kind of good on the scribe. Let's, let's not hate on him too quick. Uh, he sees that Jesus's answers are good and valid and smart. That Jesus was not just giving like, hey, you guys just have faith. Or, hey, you'll understand when you talk to God. He was giving responses that seemed thoughtful and, and, and smart. And, and they, they, they were completely fleshed out. So he sees that he answered them well. He asked them, uh, hey, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, last week, we, we saw this uh, same story played out in uh, Luke. It's also uh, mirrored in the book of Mark. And Jesus' response in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the same uh, application. It says in verse 29, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God. Count, count these adjectives with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart uh, and with all your soul with all your mind, with all your strength. How many adjectives? Four. Okay, th- that's going to that's gonna matter here in a second. Thank you for keeping up. Uh, and, uh, the second, verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so Jesus sums up the entire Old Testament, the entire Jewish faith with two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm going to just, just say loving your neighbor as yourself is what we dealt with in the last series. So I'm just going to skip over and just say that, that God really wants us to love him and to know him. That's what we're going to talk about today. And to love each other and look out for each other. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. So as, as we look at ourselves, as we forgive ourselves, as the gospel is applied to our hearts, then we no longer have that hatred, that anger, that need to prove ourselves, and we can just go and be willingly forgiving other people. So that's, that's loving our neighbor as ourselves. But, but he gives the answer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And it says in verse 32, it says, the scribe said to him, you are right. Now, I love this. Every other person who has come to Jesus trying to trip him up, uh, they get mad when he answers them rightly. And what they do is they just sit down and shut up. But, but because, because Jesus dealt with this man honestly, gave him an honest answer to his honest question, the scribe's response is, I, yeah, that, that checks. I, I like what you're saying. Here's what he says. He says, you're right, teacher. You, you truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your, count the adjectives with me, and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength. How many adjectives was it? Three. Okay, I'll explain why there's a difference in the number here in a moment. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all. He says, he says yeah, what you just said kind of checks out. Uh, I think, I, think you, I think you just explained to me the entire, what we would call the Old Testament, I think you just explained to me the entire Bible in those two phrases, love God with all of these things and love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe is like, yeah, I believe you're right. And he, he follows it up with this. He says, uh, and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is not coming out of Jesus' mouth. It's, it's the scribe looking at Jesus. He says, I think, I think what you're telling me is what I believe. What I believe, Jesus, is it's more important for me to love God and to love people than it is to do religious-looking things. The, the, the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, that's all the religious-looking things. That's all the stuff you do when you go to church. And he says, it seems to me, the scribe is saying to Jesus, it seems to me that what God really wants from me is a heart that's wholly devoted to him and a heart that is wholly surrendered to other people and loving and caring other people. And all those religious-looking things, they're just, they're just makeup. 
that, that, that they're, they're terrible substitutes for this real thing. Because what's happened in this day, and the reason why the Pharisees and the Sadducees and so many of the other people keep coming up against Jesus, is because Jesus keeps pointing to the fake makeup that they're putting on their lives, uh, their church attendance, their ability to go to the temple, their ability to quote random Bible verses like off the top of their dome, all the things that made them look good, but they ignored the heart, they ignored their love of God, and they ignored their love of people, and Jesus would point at that and say, that's not what God wanted. And this scribe is dealing with Jesus honestly in the same way that Jesus was dealing with them honestly. He says, I think, I think that's all for show, and we should just love God and, and love each other. And here's, here's what Jesus says at the end of that. This is fascinating to me. Verse 34, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, I don't know who the scribe is. I'd like to know his name. I wonder if it was Nicodemus. That would, that would have been a cool kind of turn of phrase if, if it was Nicodemus. Here's some dude that is in a crowd of people that loves to try to make Jesus look dumb. Uh, and he dealt with Jesus uh, uh, honestly. And Jesus' response is, you're not very far from getting all of the pieces put together, my friend. You're very close to the kingdom. And because Jesus answered him that way, the rest of the people are like, I... I, I'm done. All the argument stops. Imagine like the whole crowd that was just chomping at the bit. There's a line of people on open mic night trying to get at Jesus. And, and they all just like, I'm not even going to try anymore. <laughs> I'm going home. This is crazy. Yeah. He just, he said that to that guy. Okay. I'm, I'm done. So uh, I have some, some questions. Uh, I want to, I want to answer the three and the four thing here in a second. But first, how did the scribe, how did this guy know the right answer? How did he know the right answer? Well, the reason why I knew the right answer is because he's quoting the Old Testament when he says this. So a lot of us, we've come up in church and we know the great commandment, love God and love people. And we think Jesus was giving us a new commandment. Like Jesus taught love God and love people. Well, Jesus did teach it. He just wasn't the first one to teach it. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting the, the version of religion that the, that the Jews had. And, and it would have been something that they were taught all the time. It's a portion of scripture called the Shema. You want to learn some Hebrew today? Shema. Say it. Sounds like a sounds like a, a the next commercial. Like you're going to buy a Shema, and it's used to anyway. Uh, shema just means hear, okay? And so uh, it's the Hebrew word to hear or for you to listen. Uh, if if your kids listen, parents, if your kids are misbehaving and you've told them to pick up that towel three times already, you just yell across your house Shema, and and it's going to freak them out because they have no idea what you're saying. It's going to feel good. It's going to release some of the energy, and you're literally telling them to listen to you because it's time to do what I've said to Shema. The, the Shema is in Deuteronomy. Uh, what, is, what is a good equivalent of the Shema? Uh, raise your hand if you grew up in a church setting or even a sports setting for that matter, where it was uh, 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 usual to repeat the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Yeah, we have a few of us. If you grew up Catholic or if you grew up uh, Lutheran or uh, Anglican, some of our liturgical side, like the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's something that you would have learned as a child, right? It's something that, that you, you would have been taught early on. I remember being in football. I'm in, in eighth grade. I go to the first game and they bow their head like, hey, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer. And I'm like, the Lord's who? I didn't know that there was a Lord's Prayer. I learned the Lord's Prayer on the 50-yard line because I didn't want to look like an idiot in, in football, right, in, the, in this huddle. You, you, you grew up, many of you grew up, that your parents taught you because they said the, the Lord's Prayer is important, and it is important. It was something that was taught to you at a young age, and as you've grown, that Lord's Prayer should hopefully have grown with you. You've learned more and more about it. The truths of it have expanded. It, it, it covers so many bases. If you just remember the Lord's Prayer and you keep growing in that, it grows with you. 
the Shema is like the Jewish version of the Lord's Prayer. The Shema was something that they would have been taught at a very young age, and they would have repeated on a regular basis as they went. If you, if you want, uh, turn to uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. Let's read the Shema together. Where's that book? It's all the way in the New Testament. It's the uh, fourth, fifth book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fifth book. Yeah, I had it. That was all right. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, let's do a Bible quiz real quick. Anybody know who wrote Deuteronomy? I heard it. Moses. That is correct. Moses wrote Deuteronomy. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, here's what's happening when Moses writes Deuteronomy. Everything you know about Moses, uh, I'm going to say 95% of every event in Moses' life is, is past tense to Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses has already led the people through the wilderness. He's already dealt with the grumbling. He's eaten the manna. He's written on the tablets. He's, he's come down and there's a golden calf and he smashes the tablets. Uh, he leads the people all the way there. He even, he even gets punished by God for hitting a rock with a stick and making water come out when it wasn't his turn to do that. And, and he's been told, you're never going to go into the promised land. Moses already has in his head, he's never going to go to the promised land. And he's old. Uh, the people have been grumbling for the last 40 plus years, and he, he's entered just to the border of the promised land, and they set up camp on the other side of the Jordan River, and he says, I need you to know the law again. I'm going to repeat to you the law. Deuteronomy is two Greek words, duo meaning two, anomy is the Greek for law. The two words mean it's the second law. It's the second time I'm telling you the basics of your faith, and he's telling them this knowing I'm not going to go in the promised land with you, but I need you to remember this. Parents, I need you to listen because I'm going to die. And, and somebody's got to teach us to your kids or they're going to lose it. And, and somebody has to tell the people who wander into our land what our God is about. Who, who here is going to do it? Listen to Deuteronomy. Listen to the second law uh, so that you know what to do. And it, part of that is chapter 6, verse 4, uh, the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your, now count the adjectives with me, with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. There were three in this one. Uh, verse six, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk uh, of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind, bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, when Moses lays this out, he says, the Lord your God is one. You only have one God. And he's one. He's, he's, he's singular. Um, you shall love him with, with everything you've got. Um, and you have, to, you have to remember to tell your kids this. If, if you've ever joined us for um, a child uh, dedication, uh, and I'm thinking of the last one. Amber came up and she read a passage of Scripture. And I don't know if you paid attention. She read Deuteronomy 6. She read the, the, the Shema. Because, because it, is, it is our job as parents to teach our children the ways of God and what he's about. And he says that you should, you should bind this on your hearts, you should bind this on your, on your head, on your hand. He says on your doorpost. And uh, the early Jews, they took that literally. Uh, and so if you walked into a Jewish home, even to this day, if you walk into a Jewish home, there's going to be a little box up uh, on their doorpost as you walk in the door. Um, and oftentimes, you may, if you have a Jewish friend, you may see them, they like kiss their hand and they touch this. So they kind of, they just walk by and they, they go through it. And you think, oh, that's, that's some kind of weird religious mumbo jumbo. But it's, it's really powerful. Um, 
any, anybody uh, grow up in a, a sports environment and uh, before game time, you're in, the, you're in the field house and the whole team is huddled up and someone's hyping you, the coach is telling you a thing, right? And then you have to march out onto the field and almost in every field house I've ever been in, there's a sign with like nasty handprints all over it and it says something. It says like one heart, one mind or something like that. That's from uh, Friday Night Lights. And uh, it, it, it's, it's something on it, you know what I'm saying? And as you go out the door, going onto the field to do business with whatever team you're against, what do you do with that sign? You slap the fire out of it, right? Because it shows unity. It reminds you of what is most important. And it, re- it calls back to mind every time it's slapped. In fact, the more time goes on, the more generations of people that slap it, it, it gets us history. And you're like, my grandfather slapped that sign when he played for you know, OU or whoever grandpa played for. I, I, I don't have any grandparents who played for OU or went to OU. Go Sooners. Um, <laughs> just the team that popped in my head. They, they would slap it because, because it brings unity. And so this is called uh, a mezuzah. Uh, this is a box, and inside of it is a scroll. I want to I thank the, the Willies who, who came to church here all the way up until last Sunday. They moved last Sunday, and so, uh, but they gifted me a masuza, uh, in for, for this. And the box is called masuza because the Hebrew uh, word for doorpost is masuza. And inside of it is a scroll, and the scroll is written in Hebrew is the Shema, what we just read out of Deuteronomy 6. And you would bind it on the doorpost, And every time you went by, you would remind yourself, the Lord my God is one. The Lord is one. I'm supposed to love this God with my heart, with my soul, with my strength. I'm supposed to love God with all of these things. And you would kiss your hands and you would touch it. You have a friend over and he's like, he sees you do this thing that that is weird to them, but you've been doing it since you were a kid. And they say, why do you touch your door? That that is weird. I I don't touch my door that way. He's like, oh yeah, it's just something we do to remind us of very important things. Oh, well, what's important? Oh, well, it's about our God. Our God is one. And I'm supposed to love him with everything I've got. I'm supposed to love him without any compartments at all. I'm supposed to love him not just with a church version of me. I'm supposed to love him with, with everything I've got. And he invites me to love him that way. Um, that's, that's what my God is like. And they may be coming from a different heritage where God is a God of anger. God is a God you just don't want to make mad at you. God is a God that, that you only talk to on Sunday mornings or something like that. And you're telling me that your God wants to have every corner of your life? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's just what that means. You know, I just, just want to remember. I love this. I'm, I think I'm going to hang it maybe on my doorpost uh, in there. I'm, I'm so thankful to have one. I used to have one, uh, and, and I lost it. The Lord our God is one. There are two, uh, interpreta- not interpretations, as if they're opposite. There's, there's two meanings to that. Um, one is this, is that when Moses said that phrase, uh, he's talking to a, a polytheistic culture that is used to worshiping multiple gods at the same time, that maybe, maybe you have a God of the harvest and a God of war and a God of this, and, and the Lord your God is one. You don't need a different God for everything you've got. Isn't that great news, by the way? Golly, could you imagine the amount of work it takes? I need my book of gods. Like, I'm about to study for my algebra test. I need the book of algebra or the God of algebra to help me out. That's nonsense. Just just worship the one true God. The Lord your God is one. Here's the other thing that that means. Uh, The Lord your God is one. He's not compartmentalized. There's not like some version of him that just like kind of loves America in a different compartment that loves Israel and a different compartment that loves Russia. The Lord your God is one. He doesn't practice in the same practice of we that we draw these walls, these boundaries between different facets of ourselves. The Lord our God is one. He is holy and completely unified in what he wants to accomplish and what he's willing to reveal to you. He's not holding anything back from you that he's giving to someone else. That's not, that's not how your God works. 
See, when, when Moses says, and Jesus echoes later, that, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, he's saying you should be one too. The Lord your God is one. You should want to be one as well. To remove those compartments, to let the walls kind of come down, maybe let some of your, your love of God flood over into your people group, and then like your hang out with friends after work group, and how you treat each other at work group, and how you talk to your spouse, and how to talk to your kids, that it all becomes just one unified thing. Because if you're like me, you have all these different like TJs, like different compartments in your head, and you're forgetting like all the energy it takes to remember which hat you're putting on, which face you're putting on. You're invited to live a, a, a maskless real, authentic life with your God and with other people around you. It's a really freeing invitation. Okay, so why? Uh, uh, we've read uh, three adjectives and four adjectives. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's quoted with three, sometimes it's quoted with four. Um, the reason why I want to bring that up is because inevitably, if you're on TikTok and you're like, you get over to the I hate the Bible group of TikTok, they're going to say, well, there's all these contradictions in the Bible. And one of them that they always bring up is sometimes it's quoted with three adjectives and sometimes it's quoted with, with four. Uh, in fact, uh, if you look at these three parallel accounts of the, of the great commandment where Jesus is telling about loving God, loving people in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Mark and Luke, there's four adjectives, but in Matthew, there's the three, the same three that we find in Hebrew. And there's a very simple explanation for it. Uh, it's because languages change over time. The, 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 the scope of what a word can mean has increased or decreased over time. Let me give you an example. In Greek, there are at least three words for love. In English, how many words of love do we have? We have one right? And so if, if I were to uh, say a phrase in, in English and I say, I love my wife and I love tacos and I love my truck, period. And it, it becomes like in the annals of time for all time. You as American hearers would know, like it's obvious, hopefully he's talking about three different kinds of, of love when, when he says that. But if it makes its way into a Greek context uh, in the future, uh, and they translate my same sentence, they're going to ascribe the correct words so that you understand the meaning of it in Greek. Because Greek's like, oh, he can't mean the same thing. It has different meanings. The same is true here. Uh, the Hebrew words for uh, soul and mind, or uh, soul and might and heart, uh, they, they have a, a larger meaning. So when they started talking about it in Greek, they would, they would emphasize those different meanings by adding the adjective. So, um, I, I just feel like that got super nerdy all of a sudden. So let's, let's go to some Greek. I want to understand if, if Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Moses says that. If we're invited to do that, then we should have some basic understanding of what he's talking about with that. Okay, so uh, give, me, give me like five minutes of nerding out in Greek and we will land the plane together. Um, the Greek word for heart, uh, and I'm using the list out of Mark 12 that we looked at a moment ago. The Greek word for heart is cardia. Yeah, now you probably can already hear some heart-related words in that. You know, cardiovascular system, and cardiogram, it's, it's, it's heart. That's the Greek word for heart. Uh, the meaning of that word in Greek is uh, something like the, the inner man. Uh, maybe it's the center of your will. It's, it's the thing inside you that is, is kind of guiding all your other things. It's the most important piece of you, okay? And so the inner man, the inner person, is not the person that you bring with work uh, or the person that's at home. or the person. It's this invitation to, to just focus on that, that most basic 
central piece of who you are. This is going to be something similar to the word uh, identity uh, in, in English. This is, this is, who are you? Like, what, what, is it, what are you about? I'm, a, I'm kind of calm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a thinker. I'm, I'm a hyper. I'm, I'm, I'm this. You, you are not, let me tell you what you're not. You are not your trauma. You are not that story from 10 years ago. You are not your reputation. You are not uh, that bad news. You are not a failed marriage. You are not even defined by your marriage. You're not defined by your kids. And you're not defined by your work. Those are not the inner man. The heart of who you are is the truest version of who you are. And when Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, he's saying you shall love the Lord your God, not with just show and flash, not with attendance at church. You shall love the Lord your God with just the real essence of who you are. The reason why this is super freeing, and we'll look at it uh, in a future week, the reason why this is super freeing is because so many of us, we bring a different version of ourselves to God than our real version. We, we, we don't bring him our anxieties, and we don't bring him our anger. We don't bring him our hurt because we're scared that we're going to make God mad for some reason. And we're invited in both the Old and the New Testament to bring him that side to bring him the ugly side, bring him the warts and all side and just lay it down and say, this is me. I don't feel like I'm enough. I don't feel like I'm going to measure up. I don't think I can make it one more day. Bring your entire heart to God and love him with it. That's the invitation. Uh, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. You should love the Lord your God with all of your soul. The Greek word for soul is uh, pronounced, it's, it's funny because in English we silence the P, but in Greek the P is pronounced. And so it's pronounced pasuke, okay, pasuke. Uh, this is where we get the word psychology from, okay? Uh, you would think that they would be on the word mind. It's not. In Greek, the, it's the, it's the, it's the uh, uh, excuse me, the soul that is uh, the pasuke. This is, um, this is life. This is, um, this is passion. You, we, we use the word life in that way when we say, oh, he's just, he's just so full of life, right? What you would say in Greek, you would say, he's so full of pasuke, which that sounds like you're cursing at someone. But, but yeah, he's so full of life. He's so full of passion. He's so full of emotion. This is someone who is, 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 is ready to take life by the horns, right? He's full of soul. Uh, the opposite of that, like someone who's depressed, just, I don't know. It's like, it's like the life is just drained out of me. I just, I, just, I, I don't have a good look on life right now. I'm, I'm so tired. It's the, the Greeks would say that's your soul. That's, that's, we got to talk about your soul. This is going to be something similar to English version of the, of the subconscious mind. This is not your active thoughts. These are your inactive thoughts. These are the thoughts that are kind of running in the background that, that they inform so much of your life so much of, of your decision-making, so much of how you look at the world, um, and yet, yet you never have a, a full conscious thought on it. This is, this is the thought that, that like your counselor, if you, if you go to therapy, I'm a big fan of therapy, by the way. Uh, if, you go, if you go see a counselor and uh, they're like, well, tell me, tell me like about your dad. And then you just realize, like you have this bawling moment, like I've been trying to prove to my dad for the last 10 years. You find out that in your soul, you had the script running in the back that you had something to prove to dad, right? Um, this is this is your pasuke, and and Jesus invites us to love the Lord our God with all of our soul, all of the inner dialogue inside of ourselves. That as as we uncover it, we 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 hand it over to Him. That we love Him with the with the really reserved side of ourselves. We love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul. 
If you feel like I'm going fast on this, by the way, this is just an introduction. Each week after this, we're going to unpack soul. We're going to unpack mind. So, so uh, apologies if you're like, I can't, I can't keep up. Uh, we should love the Lord our God with all of our mind. The Greek word for mind here is dionia, dianoia. Uh, it's, uh, I, I'm not Greek. Dianoia. Uh, this is, this is uh, if, if uh, Pasuke is your subconscious mind, this is your fully conscious mind. This is the part of your mind that you uh, use for your maths. This is the part of your mind that you use to remember your shopping list. This is the part of your mind that uh, you're using to filter out that thing that you're about to say. Hopefully you're using that before you say the things that are coming to your mind. If, by the way, if you just speak straight out of the pasuke, you're on, you're, you're on the couch, okay? You can't, you can't have a healthy relationship with your spouse without letting your mind engage and filter some stuff from time to time. This is, this is your understanding. This is your, your thorough reasoning. You should love the Lord your God with your ability to think. Now, I've been in church and around church long enough to know that some preachers will stand and they talk, listen, you just need faith, honey. Stop asking your hard questions. You need to, you need, stop thinking so much. You need, just, just have faith. And there is a room for faith, but you shall love, this is out of Jesus's mouth, you shall love the Lord your God with your ability to think smart. You, sh- you should be able to have an honest conversation with someone without having to manipulate the truth and kind of twist it up and like, oh, don't worry about that. Just, just let's talk about those. Um, the, the, there's been no room in the church to talk about um, evolutionary theory. There's been uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of science that people just avoid. And we'll, we'll talk about that more. I'm not, I'm not trying to unpack all of that right now. But, but listen, listen. The, the, the atheist and the unbeliever, they look at Christians, they look at the church and say, you guys just don't think sharp. And, and we're invited by Jesus to love the Lord our God with our mind. One of the ways that we need to do that, and we need to be honest with ourselves about that, is that we need to engage in real conversation, real dispute with people, and not dismiss people right out. When, when we live in a culture, for the last five years or so, that, that when someone says something that disagrees with, with us, we're taught just dismiss them. Just don't deal with it at all. We shall love the Lord our God with our mind as to engage our mind. And we can worship God with, with the way that we think. And then the last is this, is uh, we shall love the Lord our God with all of our strength. The Greek word is iskus, say iskus. So with all of our strength, this is, this is uh, the word for power, ability. This is, this is everything that you have control over in your life. If you finish reading Deuteronomy, uh, he says, uh, uh, these are the things that you do in your strength. And then God accomplishes the things that he does in his strength. There, there's room for God to work and there's room for you to have effect on this. And so when we love the Lord our God with all of our strength, it is that we show up to people and help them whenever they have a need. If, if you have the ability to help, then, then you serve them. So let, let's land the plane, uh, look at, watching the clock. I, I, what we're invited to do and what we're going to try to unpack for the next few weeks is this invitation that, that Jesus is giving you and I to live in a world that has no compartments. That, that, that we're no longer in this, these contradictions of, of self where I have this version of me that goes to work and this version of me that goes to church. That, that what, if, what if they were the same? What if as you grew in your knowledge of the Lord, you grew in your, your, your heart, you grew in your soul, you grew in your mind, you grew in your strength? What if, what if you were wholly and, and completely uh, committed to this? Your God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The invitation is that you can also be one. You, you, can, you can live in a compartment-free life. What we're going to try to tackle as we unpack this is this invitation to be your true self. 
And so many of us work in this false self, the shadow version of ourselves, because, because this self protects the, the, the vulnerable part of me. This is the anger to protect the hurt. This is the, I'm going to show you competency to protect my sense of, I don't know what I'm doing. This is, I'm going to show you how smart I am to protect the fact that you might think I'm dumb. And, and to love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, mind, and strength is to say, I'm done living with that false self. I'm done trying to project these things out. And if you don't like something about me, it's going to be because of the real version of me. We're going to get clear on who our God is and what our priorities are as followers of, of him. And so in closing, I just want to leave you with this thought. Um, you and I, uh, we've all been invited into a space where all portions of yourself are in agreement without conflict, that, that, that you, you don't have to put on a show, that there are no more compartments. And so as we begin the series, maybe, maybe there's like a wall that is immediately coming to mind, a, a, a separation of how you act in work or home or uh, on the job site or here, whatever. Uh, what, what are you willing to begin chipping away at right now? What, what are you willing to, to look to God and say, okay, you want me to, to live a compartment-free life. You want me to live a, a, a one, you know, one version, holy and true. Um, what, I want to give you this. I want to give you the way that I treat my kids. I want to give you the way that I talk to my coworkers. I want to give you, I want to give you this and, and just trust that, that you're going to handle it well. Is there any compartment that you're willing to begin chipping away at? And that's what I want you to begin praying on uh, as we unpack this. And then next week, we'll, we'll unpack the mind, which sounds super hocus pocus. Uh, we, we are going to look at the mind, and we'll, we'll look at all four of these as we move along. Let me pray, and then we'll watch the cue uh, together. Father, um, uh, we come to you uh, and we thank you that, that you, are not, uh, you are not complicated. Um, you are deep and, and we'll never fully understand you, but you're not complicated. You don't contradict yourself and there's not different versions of you that we need to seek to know. There's just this one. And Lord, um, so, so many times I'm, I'm caught up in the bondage of trying to put on a good show for other people. I know others are as well. And Father, help us, help us to mimic you, help us to copy you, that, that we just live in this one true version of, of ourselves. Help us to love you with everything we've got. Help us to break down these compartments and to be honest, uh, to have a fullness of heart, to, to have a fullness of life as we love you. And in, in so doing, we, we fulfill this, this, great, uh, this great commandment. I, I, I pray for your help in our weakness and uh, help us to live in, in truth. Uh, we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.